0: program on AM 1170, The Answer, is sponsored by Allied Media Group. Welcome to the Andrea K. Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred seven pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Andrea K. Show. So glad to have you all here with me today. It's Monday and I'm coming to you from the AM 1170 KCBQ studios and sharing this hour with me. I'm always uh, honored to have you all share this time with me. But I've got to give a shout out to none other than Dijon Dillon, who's helping out today. Hey, baby. Hey. You sound much better than you did.
2: Oh, I'm last feeling night.
1: much better. Oh, yay. Awesome. I also have Miss Dayani in here today, media concierge extraordinaire. Thank you, Dayani. Hey, are you guys following me during the day? Follow me on Twitter at Andrew K5. Friend me on Facebook. And also, um, are you on Periscope? Are y'all periscoping? Because you know I'm scoping the show now sometimes too. And I'm especially excited to have a guest in the studio today, Joe Straziri from Straziri Mancini. Say hi, Joe. Hi there. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for coming in and braving the dynamite today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I asked Joe to come in because we're going to get into a little talk about taxes a little bit later. I'm paying attention to you, what you guys tell me you want to hear about on the show. And I think it was Nathan... Gete, and Doug Kaiser as well. Doug specifically asked me to start covering some stories about the Dow and taxes and to get into a little bit more economics. Because really, as much as we talk about the war on terror and, and the threats that we face as a nation, the economics are also, it's a dual situation and dual issues with which people are voting. And we're going into the Iowa caucuses. They're about a week away. Now, you know, last week, Uh, I was talking about my concern over divisions within the party. And I was specifically talking last week about when Ted Cruz attacked Donald Trump's and New York values. I wasn't thrilled with that. I said we had seven years of division and divisiveness going on with an administration that's been trying to divide us along gender lines and race lines and age lines. And why was the Republican Party getting involved in any kind of divisiveness within itself? And then I wasn't particularly thrilled with as eloquent as it was, as heartfelt as it was. Trump's response was really a little too New York-centric and not really about America. I said, you know what, I would really love it for for the Republican Party to seize this opportunity for unity and to get this country back together and, and have it be around a conversation about American values instead of New York values or Iowa values. Haven't we been divided enough? And to me, when I think about American values, to me, American values are really rooted traditionally into conservative values because they were based upon our founders. And our founders really envisioned limited government. And so things just kind of went from bad to worse last week in terms of division within the party. And it was really fueled. The The, the flames were fueled by a uh, National Review's hit piece on um, Donald Trump. And I said last week, actually, even before the National Review piece came out, I said, you know what, I've already made my decision as to who I'm going to vote for. In the primaries, and I'm not going to share who it is because I don't want to be fanning the flames. I don't want to be insulting anybody for their decision in terms of who they like and who they don't like. And I don't I, 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 don't think that that really helps anybody. And then out comes this hit piece by National Review. And, you know, I got to even thinking even deeper than that. I got to thinking about, okay, we've already got this deep hostile divide going on within the party. And who's really to blame for it? The Nash Review piece comes out and is in in and the hit on Donald Trump, but you know, so much anger and hate against Donald Trump, the anger should be really placed against Why Trump is even in the race at this point and why he's in the lead. And this that's something that that I've said before. You know, for years, the big joke going around was, you know, Bush's fault. You know, President Obama, for years, even going into his second term, blamed everything on Bush. So much so, it became a running joke. Well, I'm looking at the situation with Trump right now and the state of the nation. And I'm going, you know what? Maybe that's not so much of a joke to me anymore because, you know, what – the deep divide right now and what people are arguing over and fighting over right now is the definition of conservatism. Well, what was President Bush? He's the one who ran as a conservative, ushering in this new form of conservative under the Bush, called, what he called the compassionate conservative. And what did that really give us? Not only did it give us Trump, it gave us Obama. Why? Because what was their definition? What was Bush's definition of conservatism? It was a big government in fact, he presided over an incredibly expansive uh, expansion of government through Department of Homeland Security, what I call the greedy geezer bill. He pushed for comprehensive immigration reform. He's the one who gave us the Wall Street bailout, the auto bailout. He added air to the housing bubble when he went around bragging about minority home ownership, knowing that, that these loans weren't good. He appeased Islam, actually, after nine eleven, In fact, everybody right now is upset over the administration's plan and now with Paul Ryan uh, in terms of bringing more refugees here. Well, you know who started that? President Bush started that. He ran as a conservative and he governed like a liberal. And then his architects on the heels of, you know, the... What happened to the collapse, the economic collapse, some people call it the Great Recession of 2008. Then, what, then his architects, the architects of the failed compassionate conservatism, then they came in and gave us McCain and Romney as a way to try to push back against Obama, who stepped in. And, and so many people on the left love to rail, you know, about President Bush. And I think, wait a second, I don't see a whole lot of daylight between President Bush and Obama when you look at these policies. So what is conservatism? Because to me, Bush's conservatism, what's been kind of driving the party for a while, which also gave us not only the, the failures in 08, but also, you know, we candidates like Romney and McCain, who could not articulate a persuasive argument for conservatism, they gave us Obama. So what is conservatism? Well, I guess I'm supposed to look to National Review to define conservatism for me, which I find offensive. You know, they seem to think that they have the right to define it for me. I don't think so. Was it defined by the great Ronald Reagan, one of my heroes? Well, he mistakenly gave amnesty to how many uh, illegal aliens who were here. Or was it defined by those overpaid consultants whose track records of sales like Karl Rove is so abysmal, I don't think the guy could get a gig selling appliances at Best Buy. See, I thought conservatism was about individual responsibility, individual freedoms. So why is somebody trying to take that away from me and telling me who I should vote for and who I should support? That was a big mistake that National Review made, because not only did it not help their publication any, but all it did, what what does this serve? What does it serve to insult somebody that a huge portion of the American people sits behind? And where were they all these years ago trying to sell conservatism? See, after Romney lost so bad because he couldn't articulate the value of conservatism by anybody's definition, I actually had the head of the Republican Party for California and a huge GOP consultant on my show. And I said, listen, I said, we're getting our butts kicked. Why don't we take a page of the Democrat playbook? And they push their agenda all day, every day in a clear, concise, persuasive manner. And they do it without apology. They push their agenda first and the candidate second. We we wait until it's the election year time, and then we put forth a candidate who's squishy. Nobody trusts them in any way, and then we try to wrap some incoherent message around them, and it fails. Well, is that what National Review was trying to do here? Maybe that's what they were trying to do. Maybe they were trying to, to push conservatism. Well, I, but they didn't do it in the right way to me. What what they should have done is do an entire manifesto on the beauty of American values, the beauty of conservatism, why it works for the best people, then for the most people, why that's a system we need to get back to. Then maybe do a Q and A with the with the candidates, all the candidates, give them a set questions, the same Q and A session for each candidate, and then let the people decide who they want to vote for in the primary. And you know what? If it ends up being Donald Trump, then, then it's Donald Trump. Why is there anybody, how very liberal of any organization, some centralized power group to try to tell people what they should think and what they should do? Just like Nikki Haley coming out after the State of the Union, trying to tell people, don't be listening to angry voices. I think she's got the voices in her head. Don't tell me who I'm supposed to support. And what's all this? Oh, well, you know, Trump's not a conservative because while he's saying conservative things now, he wasn't a conservative for 30 years. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan wasn't a conservative either for many years. Oh, but he was a conservative solid track record for 30 years. Well, who gets to decide how many years you you're required to be as a conservative before you actually get conservative creds? Who has the right to decide that how many years? So, therefore, we need to have a minimum age requirement of 48 years old to run for president as a Republican. You got to be 18 as an adult, then you got to have 30 years of being considered a conservative, minimum 48. Well, and given the fact that every candidate on the stage right now for Republican um, president has ex- espoused or followed some liberal ideology at some point, and recently, I might add, Then we got to get inside of, well, okay, we can't say pure conservative creds, and we don't really know who's going to get to decide that. So then we got to give an acceptable level of liberal positions. Okay, well, who gets to decide how many? Do you get to have three liberal positions and over what course of period of time? Do you see? I mean, it's just nonsense to me. And during the thirty years of the great Ronald Reagan and his reign as a conservative, what did he do? I already said, and it was and it was late into his time in his political life as he granted amnesty to illegals. Oh well, Trump has flip flopped well Cruz didn't google Google video, and you'll see Ted Cruz talking about how we need to bring eleven million illegals out of the shadows they've They've all flip flopped they've all espoused liberal. I am not sitting here pushing one candidate or the other. What I'm saying is. I'm really hoping that we can coalesce as a party where there is no perfect candidate. We need to coalesce around somebody and and these are not really good times for the hardcore conservatives kind of stuff. We need to coalesce around who we think right now can go in and do the best job. Given the situation that we're in, I had somebody yesterday say, you know what? And there's a new movement. Glenn Beck is sitting with Ted Cruz in Iowa saying, um, you know, if Trump gets the nomination, you know, better Bernie Sanders. There's actually cons- Republicans out there who say that they're conservatives who are espousing that, that that. That makes no sense to me. One said to me yesterday, well, that way we can keep conservatism intact for the next go-round. There may not be another go-round. We get to $25 in debt. We have an influx that changes our culture, and we end up with Europe where we've got Sharia, large parts of America under Sharia. And what's this little band of conservatives going to do when they come in? Right now, those same conservatives are saying Trump's out of his mind for saying he's going to round up 11 million people and send them home. So what is this little band of intact conservatives going to do when our country's gone? Now, my brother-in-law said it best on that same thread yesterday when he said, unfortunately, we are going into this election with two choices, unknown and self-destruct. Because the reality is, is there is nobody, including the great Thomas Sowell, brilliant mind who was a part of that National Review piece, who has a crystal ball. The problem we face right now, one reason why people are so frustrated is because we have elected people on the basis of their conservative creds and what they say they're going to do and how eloquently they say it. And they don't say it in the same brash manner in which Trump has said it. And then they get into office and they don't do anything they said they're going to do. So none of us have any idea how Trump, Cruz, Ferian, or any of the rest would do the job as president. None of us have a crystal ball. But what we do know is that we cannot have Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders as president and, and come out on the other side and expect some little band of reunified, pure conservatives ready to come in and take the country back. That, to me, is complete self-destruction. Now, i got to take a break. and we come back, we're going to pick this up on the other side. This is The Andrea K. Show on AM 1170, The Answer. You doing, no. Not you. The Be sure to follow Andrea K. on Twitter at Andrea K. Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E. Want to start living better, longer? LaVita Compounding Pharmacy can help. Proudly improving the lives of over 10,000 patients, preparing personalized medications with the highest care, quality, and safety. Voted Union Tribune's Best Local Pharmacy, LaVita specializes in bioidentical hormones, prescription skin care, transdermal pain creams, and more. Let us help you find the path to living better, longer. Visit us at LaVitaRx.com or call 866-507-1990. I'm Nicole Donnelly, and for over 20 years, I've owned and managed Miramar Kitchen and Bath with one goal in mind, to offer great service and great value. Just listen to what our customers are saying. Service was excellent. Easy process, start to finish. We are really happy with our new bathroom. We've already talked to them about redoing our kitchen. They have our complete trust. Call Miramar Kitchen and Bath, 858-271-8434. Or visit my showroom, just one half block off Miramar Road on Commerce Avenue. Contractors License 657
2: Miramar Kitchen and Bath.
1: Convenient,
0: home-style recipes, and unique menu favorites. Sombrero, your place for San Diego-style Mexican food. Roll tacos, California burritos, and don't forget your salsa. Sombrero Mexican food.
3: We get it, too.
1: You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to the Andrea Kay Show. Glad to have you all here with me. Glad to have Joe Straziri from Straziri Mancini in with me. Hey, I'm loving that song, Dijon. That's I'm Every Woman. we got a segment coming up we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about it with Joe. And it's the Queen Bee. Is that what they calling it? The Queen Bee Syndrome. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But before, um, we were talking about this National Review dust-up, Joe. And I was talking about... Before the break, I was talking about we're going to be in a situation to where it's unknown versus self-destruct. And I was talking about we need to pick. There's no perfect candidate. None of them have a pure conservative uh, background. They've all flip-flopped. They've all espoused. Even Rubio recently uh, espoused uh, on, um, I think it was Telemundo. He actually said he's still for the DREAM Act, which is a liberal position. He ran as a Tea Party candidate. I uh, got into office. Everybody knows about the Gang of Eight. And you know what? He's he's kind of he's trying to pretend like he's not still there with the Gang of Eight. But you pay attention to any questions that come to him about illegal immigration. He always wants to pivot and make it be about ISIS because he doesn't really want to admit that, you know, he's really still for. Uh, and uh He says not amnesty, but it doesn't have to be a pathway to citizenship. All they're really coming here for is legal status so that they can get benefits. And what we. W- so you know, again, the point is that there's no perfect candidate, and I think we've got to think about as as part of of our decision making process and who we're going to support. Who actually can do what they say they're going to do? It's it's not enough to have a great principal position if you don't have the skill or the will to actually make it happen. And so then you got to also think about leadership. Who's got leadership abilities? And to me, I'm going to ask Joe what that that means to him. But to me, leadership means I got to look at somebody who who can create a followership. Because there's nobody, unless you're going to have a dictator come in and just try to impose his will all over everybody. You know, now people are saying they're bashing Trump because he's saying that he's going to work with people and negotiate. Well, you don't you said you didn't want another dictator. You got to have somebody who can create a followership in order to get things done. He, You cannot, even if if, even if he inherited a million dollars, some people are like, oh, no, he's not a self-made man because he inherited money. People inherit money all the time through the lottery and they go bankrupt. You still got to know what to do with it. You still got to have a good work ethic. He has demonstrated his leadership ability um, in order to build his business. What I like about Cruz as a leader is I like the fact that he's willing to take a risk out there in terms of trying to affect change. But I haven't really seen a lot of accomplishment in that from him. And I'm concerned that he doesn't have the ability to create a followership within his own party because otherwise, maybe he would have had more success with some of the stuff he was trying to do. What are your thoughts on that, Joe?
0: Bad leadership is um, when you have a group of people do what you want them to do, and they thought it was their idea. Okay. And that was the, that was the <laughs> definition of leadership for a long time. Leadership now probably um, goes back to what happened at your dinner table and my dinner table when we were kids. Our folks brought people to the dinner table who thought differently than we did mm-hmm. to expand our mind. Right. And we didn't think badly of them as long as they were good people. Right. We said, "Look, you represent a whole segment of the population that thinks the way you do. Help me understand why mm-hmm. I think this completely different way. It either got you more entrenched in what you did, or helped you augment it, but it made it easier for you to work with somebody else. Mm-hmm. By definition, leadership in today's world is going to be being able to work with somebody else. How do you work with them if you don't understand their position?"
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and I think that that Trump's ability to, I think, an asset in terms of leadership, like you're talking about, in order to be able to work with other people is some of the criticism that Trump is getting right now because he's saying, I'm willing to work with the Democrats. I'm willing to talk to them. Or, yeah, I've gave, I gave money as a businessman to a Democrat back within the system because it was going to help me somehow in business. You know, to me, that those are all ways that you work within a system to affect change for yourself and make something happen for yourself. I see that as a good thing.
0: Sure, so it's not the trickery. The old way of trickery of me tricking you by leading you is what I talked about first, Mm -hmm. as opposed to now saying, I disagree with you. We come from different places, but how can we make this better together? Mm -hmm. Right now, everybody gets to fight with each other and make it worse together, but it's worse for you than it is for me, but we're both downhill.
1: Right. And that that's, doesn't make a lot of sense. And no, and that's what's going on. It's going on in Washington. It's also what's going on within the party. And I get I'm one of these people that says, "Well, you know what? I don't think that we should reach across the aisle if it involves us doing something that is, you know, devastating to America, like the influx. We've got to seal our borders." That to me, I have been saying for a long time that is the most important issue that we have as a nation because it affects us economically. It affects us, you know, from from a safety and a security standpoint. And it was Trump who actually it was not Ted Cruz. It was not any of the others who actually brought that to the forefront. And he's speaking on behalf of the uh, of the American people for that. And to me, you know, that is leadership. Um, but what do you say to the people that are talking about? And, and I don't know who you support. I haven't asked about this, but, you know. I'm concerned... That there's so much anti-Trump sentiment out there and so much people entrenched. She's talking about people digging in their heels, getting entrenched in their own positions. The more that people attack Trump, the more the Trump supporters dig their heels in. And then they're not listening to um, the other side, the people that like Cruz. The Cruz supporters are so entrenched right now that they're not listening to anything anybody says that's positive about Trump. And they're basically saying that they're on board with Glenn Beck, that you know, if Trump gets the nomination, they'll just stay at home which to me is, is really scary.
0: There's two whole different conversations happening. One conversation is out there saying, how do we move the ball forward? How do we make it better for all of us? How do we make it better even for one group? There's mm-hmm. another whole conversation happening. How do I get in power or how do I stay in power? Right. Those two things are very, very different on what you say and how you, how you act. Mm-hmm. What you were talking about is how do I get a leader who once they get into power, no longer tries to stay there or get there next time. Or right. fight, or the people who are not fighting about it, but how do I work with everybody to make it better, and those are very different conversations,
1: yeah, well, what I'm hoping is with this conversation, you know today, I'm hoping that we don't have as many. People in the cruise camp that are like the Ron Paul and Rand Paul people back in 2012 who said either I'm going to get the purest that I want or I'm just not going to vote at all because then nobody's going to win at that point. Because I'm absolutely convinced, as I've talked about many times, that with a left's agenda for us and it's devastating economically, we're going to get into some of the the tax and economic stuff with with Joe coming up. And that gets
0: back to what you were saying, why the divisiveness, Mm -hmm. because if people may have us sitting in a divisive position between each other. Mm-hmm. then the party will lose and somebody will win, not the party you're talking about.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, and and it's interesting because I actually posed that question yesterday to a good friend of mine on Facebook. He doesn't listen to the show, but I'm not going to say who it is because other people know him. Um, but I posed the question to him yesterday. I said, how is this helping anybody for you to be spending all day on Facebook attacking anybody's supporters? That's not helping anybody in the long run. And what uh, it's going to be, It's like you said, he said he came back and said that his answer was that um, as Christians, we shouldn't be following our anger and letting our anger lead anywhere, which to me was a disappointing answer, because you're basically saying that you're going to if you don't get who you want, you're going to stomp your feet and stay out of the political process out of anger. And then you're going to end up putting Hillary into office, you know, out of anger. So, you know, there's just too much anger. We got to unite. And I posed a question out on, on Facebook earlier today. The question was, how can we unify around what and around whom? Because there is no one candidate who's going to give us everything that we want. I'm hoping that we can unify around a few core principles. That is, and Laura Ingram wrote a great piece in her new uh, website, LifeZet, and she talked about what Trump, she said, regardless of what you think about Trump, what if his supporters are pushing for three big things, a return to traditional GOP law and order process, law and order practices when it comes to illegal immigration a return to more traditional GOP foreign policy that would put the national interest ahead of globalism, and a return to more uh, traditional GOP trade policy that would analyze trade deals from the perspective of the country as a whole and not blindly support any deal. Y'all know that I spent a whole hour, I spent a week researching the TPA and TPP deal last summer and did a whole hour on it, and I talked about my concern for Ted Cruz at the time. his backdoor dealings with Marco Rubio Rubio over some concerning immigration inclusions in that bill that I wasn't particularly happy with. However... So he is not the conservative purist, in my opinion, that many people think he is. But make no mistake about it, I will vote for any of them, anybody but Hillary. So we've got to move on to some other topics, Joe. Um, one we were talking about before the show is that the New York Times has given a report, and if true, Obama's preparing, if you're just tuning in, by the way, this is the Andrew K. Show on AM 1170. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. 5. Go to my website, andrewkshow.com. Friend me on Facebook. Um... So Obama is preparing his latest executive action designed to go around Congress yet again um, by requiring the companies that do any business with the government, which includes family members of mine, that they disclose, quote, their contributions to groups that spend money to influence campaigns. Now, this may not seem like a really big deal to somebody out there who's not a government contractor, but what this is is, you know, it's just more in the death by a thousand cuts routine against um, individual rights rights. Because this, this affects small business owners. They've done, the left has done a good job in demonizing big corporations, but we know that, that the majority of businesses in this country are small businesses, the private enterprises. This is an attack on people's free speech. So they're saying that it's not going to keep anybody from getting a government contract, but are you kidding me? What's the purpose then of having this information if it's not to to use it against somebody? But it doesn't matter what they're going to use it. This is somebody's private information. Oh, by the way, Joe, the Supreme Court has already ruled. That spending for nonprofit organizations is protected under the First Amendment. So, you know, if this was not more of President Obama with the IRS trying to use a government agency to try to silence political opposition, why would he need this information? This
0: is no more, no less than campaign finance reform against business owners. Right. So it's campaign finance reform, which would be a good thing for us as a country as a whole. But not if you're just doing it against conservatives. Or just against business owners, which Mm -hmm. is what this tries to do.
1: Right. And, of course, you know, this is the kind of behind-the-scenes kind of stuff that the average person is not paying attention to. Because the average person is just trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills, Joe. You know, so this may not seem, and the strategy of death by a thousand cuts, each time the little cut doesn't seem like, you know, such a big deal. But it truly is. There was a reason why President Obama and 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 the DOJ had Loretta Lynch after two terrorist attacks came out and specifically attacked free speech. Boy, that is that's the firewall. They really want to breach it. I've said before that's really what what same-sex marriage was about. It really wasn't about the you know financial contract, civil contract between two people. No, they wanted, they wanted to get that designation of that word marriage because then they can get the hate speech legislation. Then they can criminalize speech. There's a real movement to get at the First Amendment and we gotta keep our eye on the ball. And I really, where's the GOP today talking about this? Um. This is another – speaking of free speech, this is just a little blip. Hang with me, Dylan. Give me another minute here. Time Magazine. This is from a Republican. You know, that while I earlier I opened the show talking about the Bush um, Bush definition of conservatism, compassionate conservatism, what have that all meant. You know, the GOP's running around masquerading as though they're party of conservatism when they did the expansion of government, the Wall Street bailout and all of the, auto bailout, all of that. Now – We've got a Republican in South Carolina, Joe, who's who's um, offering legislation that would create a panel of experts to determine if a person qualifies to be as a journalist, similar to like the process a doctor would go through. And it's the registry law and in for responsible journalism registry. And it would outline requirements for reporters to reach before they can work in any media. Pay attention, Dayani. You might not be allowed to work in the media if you don't pass Um, The journalist standards. I mean, this is the same Republican who, you know, uh, he says he's not a press hater. Um, He was accused of being a press hater. Um, but he said the ne- the bill is needed to make sure that the journalists adhere to a code of ethics. Now, I agree with him here. He's the same guy who said that he's concerned um with the reportage being more editorial than reporting. But the solution is not government control. So, the, you know, you've got these elites, the kingmakers that Phyllis Schaefeli referred to in National Review, who are so full of themselves, thinking they've got the right to define conservatism and pick our losers for us, presiding over a party that's big government right now. I I cannot even believe that this is how far down the rabbit hole we've we've gotten as a party to where we've actually got a, a state rep who's in, introducing legislation to have government control over journalism. Any anything you want to add to that, Joe? Before we go to a break, well, it,
0: it'll go nowhere, right? Because how can you control speech? Journalistic protections are bigger than almost all the rest of them that are out there. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who's bringing us something that's going to fall on deaf ears. And if, if they were able to pass it a court and knock it down anyways, but it's about having the conversation. Now we're trying to attract press by saying what the press did is wrong.
1: So if they know it can never pass, why would a Republican put forth that nonsense? The government should have a panel interviewing people and having bureaucrats decide who qualifies as a journalist.
0: It's back to the conversation we had earlier. There's two
1: different conversations
0: happening. One is about the real issues and how do you make it better? The other one is how do I get or maintain power?
1: That's a how do I get
0: or maintain power?
1: Ah, right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to pick Joe's brain a little bit on tax strategy. So you're not going to want to change the channel. Ooh, good song there. We got to find out what Joe what Joe's music is before we come back. Hey, this is the Andrea K Show on AM 1170.
0: Want more
2: Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show and like her Facebook
1: page at Andrea K spelled K A Y E.
0: Convenient homestyle recipes and unique menu favorites. Sombrero, your place for San Diego style Mexican food. roll tacos, California burritos, and don't forget your salsa. Sombrero Mexican
3: food. We get it too.
0: Do you struggle with the day-to-day management of your business?
2: You're listening to the Andrea K show on AM 1170
1: The Answer. So glad to have you all here with me. Glad to have Joe Straziri from Straziri Mancini in with me on the on the show today. I wanted to get into a little bit of the taxes. I, I, one of the reasons why I had him come in today is the Dow started to look like it was going to be ugly today. It ended up okay. Um, but it, it was the worst opening, I think, for a year, the Dow was, in 20-something years. And a lot of experts said this is just going to be a really volatile year. Some of it has to do with China. Some of it has to do with oil and what's going on there. Um, I think there's just a lot of uncertainty. It's not something that I really keep my eye on closely with. Thank you, Doug Kaiser, for asking me to start doing more um, business and finance and economic segments. And so I got to go to some experts in San Diego to to help bring this in. Joe Straziri from Straziri Mancini, y'all law firm, y'all do so much. There. Um, you do a lot with estate planning, but e- everything involved within that, there's like real estate implications and financial planning inf- implications. So you really have your mind wrapped around all the different aspects of money and finance. When you
0: correct? look at all that stuff, it's a matter of your finances, your family, and it's a big old chessboard. And mm-hmm. dealing with only one aspect of it is awfully scary because you can get blindsided by a queen or a rook right. on the other
1: side. So when you, when you have people must be coming in right now really scared because of the market fluctuations and depending on what their age is or what their family situation is, they're concerned about estate planning. They're concerned about if they're aged, you know, what's going to happen if they pass along, you know, any property or well, money or whatever. For a minute.
0: You could be at a point in your life when you're saying, you know what, I'm starting to amass some things. Should I or should I not pay off my house? Should I be putting money in a 401k or a retirement account? By all means, if other people are putting money in, you should.
1: Right. Um, but but even with the market up and down like this, because if if, if even if you've got a business or, or an employer who's willing to match, if it's going up and down and losing, well, do you want to put your money if you've in you've got it? an
0: employer who's willing to match and you're getting double your money for part of it, even if it gets hit some, let somebody else match your money, right? Okay. The other part is, if people aren't putting it away and the alternative is they're probably going to spend it, I'd still rather them put it away. Okay. Your question then is, but if you put it away, where do you put it? Right. A lot of the financial advisors out there, only get compensated if you put it in the market. Mm-hmm. So they say put it in the market. Right. But if you talk to a real estate person, if you talk to another investor, if you talk to an alternative investment person, they're going to say their thing makes a ton of sense. Right. Right now, serious money is running out of the market. It's been dumping into real estate for a long time. Mm-hmm. Why? Because real estate doesn't disappear at the bottom end of it. Right. Most people that analyze the market will tell you that our 15000 that we're at right now, true value underneath those um, companies is somewhere between nine and twelve. Okay. The rest of that value from twelve to fifteen is the fact that people are trading with econ- each other constantly. Okay, does that gets get to stay up? The other thing is, we've had an artificially low interest rate that's been held down mm-hmm. for this for this long period of time. When it goes up, money becomes worth less. Will that hit the market down too? Mm. So, it's better than sticking inside of a bank where it only gets what less than a percentage point. Right. People want to be in it for the long play, but they're going to have to talk to their financial person. Am I putting this money in for my 10-year-old that has to go to college one day? Right. Or am I putting it in and I'm going to need it back out next year? Right. Those are very different ways to think about investing.
1: What about gold and silver? I'm seeing all these ads all the time and, and a lot of big names and big people in media. Hawking gold and silver. And I'm seeing, thinking to myself, okay, yeah, it's, I guess it's stable money, but when was the last time anybody went to a grocery store and said, here's my hunk of gold for some bread and eggs? Well,
0: we'd call it stable money, but it's a matter of how much is being traded. If people trade it less or buy it less, gold and silver will go down in value more they trade it, the more up it goes in value. So explain to me how is that's different than a stock.
1: Well, as long as you think of it that way, but I guess what I'm saying is that people are, are pitching that in terms of the upcoming apocalypse, that that money is going to be worthless and you need to have a supply of gold and silver stashed okay, you know, in so your backyard. Let's, let's, which, so that's a different path. application. Let's go
0: down this path. Um, world gets crazy. You've got a bunch of $100 bills in your safe or $20 bills in your safe, and you've got a pieces of gold in your safe too, and you need to go buy milk or eggs. Right. Are you going to trade a gold bar for it?
1: That's my yeah, that's my question. So why is everybody why is that being hawked as, you know, some solution for For when the dollar dollar gets destroyed if if it does. If you're gonna talk
0: old immigrant values, somebody who comes here and builds something from nothing and then does it, those people would start to talk about, yeah, you're gonna have a little bit in the market or a little bit in gold and silver, but they could say, do yourself a favor, take a piece of real estate, pay it off, have somebody rent it and pay you a consistent income, and as the market goes up and down, people will need a place to live.
1: Okay. Last question. Uh, taxes. I'm I'm hoping there's going to be some more clear. We've had some good economic debates with with people presenting their policies. Um, Tax, uh, flat tax. There's different versions that are being espoused by Ted Cruz and by Donald Trump, who are the two front runners. What are your thoughts on that? We're back to the
0: conversation I had before. There are some people talking about how to make policy and how to make it better, and other people talking about how to get in power or stay in power. A flat tax will not happen unless we have major campaign finance reform all of, the, all of the ability to cause investors to act a different way, place money a different a different direction, is because of our taxation system. Mm-hmm. So what you, people often refer to as ways in which they get taxed or loopholes mm-hmm. are to cause people to act in a particular way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Will I buy something and sell it for a capital gains tax right. or not? It will depend on how much I get taxed. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood of a flat tax where it quote-unquote gets simplified mm-hmm. takes all those players out of the game. It's nice to talk about in election years. It's never going to happen. Right.
1: Yeah. And then think about all the CPAs that would, that would revolt. <laughs> You'd be putting a whole lot of people out on the street, including well, a good friend of mine who does that for a living. Not just the C- CPAs, but think
0: about it for a second. The amount of financial products that have been developed to avoid a tax system would no longer have value. Mm. So you're talking about a variety of insurance policies, annuity policies. Um, Non-taxable bonds, ways to invest, breaks for real estate, breaks for your home—all of those industries would collapse. Yeah, they'd have to radically change. So there's no will behind it. It makes for an interesting fodder during election season, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to happen. Oh, that!
1: I never thought of it that way. Interesting. There are industries created around our tax code. Yeah. Well, they all, and you're right. The only industry I thought of was the CPAs and the accounting businesses. I didn't think about all the other ones that, that are around it. And so I, I really makes you wonder what the, the question is. I get, I think it, the solution then is just to lower the tax rates for everybody really and, and, and help generate some, some growth that way. In It's terms a matter of,
0: of choosing which incentives for what activity you want. If you want business owners to take more risk and jump in that game you make it easier for them to do that. Mm-hmm. If you want industry to go in the direction of um, creating energy, you reward performance. You don't give tax money to people that fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is what we've got until said, now. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, gotta shift gears. I heard a really. We were talking about leadership earlier in the show. I heard an interesting uh, story uh, this morning on Outnumbered, which has become my favorite political show. By the way, I don't know if you want to have time to watch the lovely ladies on Outnumbered. By the way, Google Harris Faulkner's response to the National Review story and watch that woman. Not talk about dynamite in a dress. Not only is she just amazingly beautiful, and but she is just so sharp. She hit. Rich Lowry hard and you know I don't know where she's from but she did it like southern style like you know the man did and she did it so eloquently with so much grace and class but anyway that was brilliant. Today on Outnumbered this morning they're talking about leadership and have you heard of something called, called the queen bee syndrome? No Joe? tell me. Well first of all it's, it has to do with, with limit, women leaders. And it's funny because I actually got the nickname of Queen Bee one time back when I was a waitress in college because I was like one of the, one of two, um, girls who could handle this really large room in the restaurant. At the, it was the B station from seven to midnight. And I worked that room, let me tell you. Um, but Queen Bee syndrome, this is where, let me make sure I get it right. A professor did this study. Joe, and this is where female leaders supposedly are blocking the progress of junior followers. They are, and this is a quote, they are advancing their own careers by adjusting to a masculine culture. Joe, now, when I first heard that, I thought... I don't know who this professor is. I didn't even get his name, but I thought that was so demeaning to women as though the uh, that you have to the only way that a woman can advance herself in her career is to, quote, adopt to a masculine culture. First of all, I say adopting to any culture of whatever company or industry or organization you're in. That's just smart. You got to work within the system. You got to say here's the culture of the company uh, company that I'm working for. How what's their culture? How do they how do they what's the pathway up for them? What are they looking for in terms of, you know, upward mobility? What does it take to move up and whatever that company's philosophy is, you mirror that.
0: This is an offshoot of the conversation for the CEO of Facebook when she wrote the book Lean In, mm-hmm. suggesting that women would have to alter their behavior because mm-hmm. by genetics, by by their own Um, upbringing by the way women treat themselves by the way they think, you would have to act differently to do Mm -hmm. well. Now, that would be true for almost anybody if you were taking on a different role and different position to say, I'm no longer going to be subservient per se. I'm going to make sure people see me for my successes. I'm not going to let other people have it. But to start it split it on gender definitely gets um, coverage, definitely gets people all riled Mm -hmm. up. But Mm -hmm. to suggest that there's an entire group of people saying, I'm going to hold you back so I do better, we never wrote, wrote about it when guys were doing it, and guys are still doing it now.
1: <laughs> right. We,
0: we have it even more right now because we're we're still in a position where people are fearful of losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just the unemployment factor, but the higher you climb on jobs, it used to be difficult to find new talent. Mm-hmm. As an employer, right. it was very difficult to find somebody to replace, Right. just like it was difficult to find your new job. Both of those things got easier. Mm-hmm. So you have many middle-level and three-quarter way up executives that are very careful about training the people under them because they could replace them for half the money or three-quarters of the money.
1: Right. Well, so but, that's not
0: just a women thing. That's right. a man and woman thing. Right. But, but
1: go, oh, go ahead, finish your, your comment. But this person gets
0: written up about, because mm-hmm. you attack women. So therefore,
1: right, exactly. Um, it, it, and it furthers yeah. it, but it's, Further is what you were talking about with the gal from Facebook. I don't remember her name, the lean-in. I mean, to me, liberalism and I think this professor was, to me, this is obviously a, a liberal mindset of that these women can't be there on their own. It's got to be, you know, they've got to adjust themselves. It, liberalism is, is about unequal treatment under the false guise of seeking equality, and it's all about identity politics. Why they view everything through the lens of gender and race and age and skin color. My experience in corporate America America, and I worked for some of the biggest, most shark-like. Shark-infested waters ever, like at Xerox Corporation in the late '80s and the '90s, when it was just re- books were written about how difficult of an organization it was to work in. And I didn't experience this. I didn't experience anything even remotely like this. In fact, we were required to do a not required necessarily, but the culture at Xerox at the time was, you know, we knew that in order to, uh, to be upwardly mobile, we had to have a succession plan. I was responsible in some ways, at least in my own mind, it was ingrained in me in the culture that I needed to to have my, my replacement ready to go. I actually took part in that. I sought that person out because why would the company want to promote me and leave a hole where I was?
0: I would rather this conversation go down. I, we represent a lot of business owners and a lot of executives. Mm-hmm. And it, within that, predominantly males because of the type of position we're talking about. Right. It would shock you the number of them that are nervous as all get out, that don't know how to deal with strong women that are moving up because when they were, grew up, they never met that woman. And in the Mm. workplace, they're now having to adjust. So I think So it's the men having to adjust to the women. I find it really amusing when somebody (laughs) says a woman has to adjust to a man's world. I could line up 10 times the number of men that are sitting there saying, how do I adjust to support this person to to capitalize on how strong they are, but also not get myself in trouble because I've got to be careful what I say, what I do that Mm -hmm. can get me in a world of trouble.
1: Well, well, you know what? Those men, you know, are, I think more men, if Harvard has its way and more universities have their way, here's how I'm trying to segue here. Um more men are gonna have trouble trying to acclimate and and find their way, manipulate their way and maneuver their way around corporate America with if Harvard and other institutions have their way, because this is what they're actually proposing, Joe. They're proposing that Harvard's graduate school of education, that or uh, school as well as others, change their college admissions to less be about academics like test scores, AP classes, extracurriculars, and have it be based on meaningful contributions to others, community service, um, students' ethical engagement and contributions in other ways. How was somebody, you know, we're dumbing down our society, men especially in some ways, I think, to not have to compete, not have to to earn anything. Everybody's gotta get a blue ribbon for everything that they do. Nobody there's no it, this is supposedly to help the underprivileged people, but to me it's all about indoctrinating society and to basically being a bunch of losers. Well that that's a political conversation. You're right. At
0: the end of the day it's supporting a different constituency. What it's saying is if you are going to be successful monetarily or you're going to be successful in grades traditionally, let's value that less and let's value more these other things that people might t- tend to do, which is larger in a liberal sense,
1: right? But how and how can anybody who comes out a, a, of a school with any kind of degree, where your admissions was based on this, going to go into these corporations that we just talked about, these businesses we just talked about, and compete? How are they going to be be able to be successful if if the measurement of success is some vague? Uh, Varying types of family and community contributions across race, culture, and class. What? If I was going to be incredibly conservative
0: and put myself in those shoes at the moment, I'd say this is a different way to get to affirmative action. Right. And that's, that's what's trying to happen. Right. Do I think there should be a healthier balance? Heck, yes, there should be a healthier balance in everything that we're doing out here. But to push an agenda like that that's way off to the left scares the death out.
1: Well yeah it scares me from a variety of different ways. I mean uh, you know tomorrow I'm going to get into a little bit of common core because it's um what's going on out there in our school system the complete indoctrination from you know kindergarten preschool actually all the way through up college is it's scary it's scary from a variety of standpoints because It's detrimental to us as a nation in terms of our culture, in terms of economics, in terms of if you look at the Common Core and the indoctrination, in terms of Islam and and what they're promoting. It's all about the transformation to be complete through the destruction of our American culture. And it leads me back to the open today when I was talking about as a Republican Party, we need to acquiesce and join together and band together around American values and conservative values, which was about hard work. It wasn't about the, the government doing anything for you. It wasn't about any school or or college, or anybody doing anything for you. It was about everybody getting out of your way. If you could dream it and were willing to work hard enough for it, you could achieve it. All you were offered was opportunity. And those are the American values. Hard work, liberty, individual responsibility, individual freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of gun ownership. These are all common values we place. And I think we we share, and I think every uh, Republican candidate, including Donald Trump, um, uh, you know, has a platform that's centered around those, and it may look a little bit different, but that is truly what I think that we all stand for as a party. And so I, I'm hoping that everybody listening will, you know, rethink the position that Glenn Beck is actually promoting in Iowa, which is Cruz. If Trump gets the nomination, people would stay home or vote for Bernie Sanders, which is what Beck said. And I guess my recommendation to Ted Cruz would also be step away from Glenn Beck. Because, you know, I'm disappointed in Ted Cruz that he would actually be sitting in Iowa, have that said in front of him, that Bernie Sanders is a better alternative than Donald Trump and have him stay silent. You know, that was really disconcerting to me. We're going to get into some more in economics on tomorrow's show. I don't know how much time I have left. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about the NFL yesterday. Y'all know I love the NFL. Joe, do you follow sports? I do, but not nearly like you do. Oh, no, I am crazy about it. I, I almost played hooky from church yesterday because I was scared I wouldn't get all my stuff done and get home in time for. Um, yeah, if Paul has a minute to come in, I want to wrap with him about the NFL and what happened yesterday. Y'all know Paul is my NFL sports, um, reporter. While Paul's coming in here, I got a quick question for you, Joe. Article on CNBC. 68% of Americans destroy their credit before the age of 30.
0: Yes. And redestroy it again later
1: because uh, it didn't work completely the first yeah, time Yeah, because they
0: weren't good enough at it because they <laughs> found out they could destroy it. Then there was a way back. They got their way back. They overextended themselves one more time. We tend to buy things and get things that we want rather than the stuff that we save to earn. And that's going to be a different conversation, but there's different segments. Our millennials are better at um, right now saving and then buying after they save rather mm. than buying something and paying interest on it and effectively paying for two, but having only one.
1: Mm. That's
0: crazy. The other part about it that you were talking about earlier, taxes. My daddy, who we lost um, 10 years ago, was an immigrant. He used to tell me, Dad, son, it isn't about what you make, it's about what you keep. Mm-hmm. How much at the end of the day do you have? And the one that takes the biggest away from you is the government. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be careful about the taxes you pay and how. So he used to structure how he invested and what he did based on how they were taxing at the time. That changes each time. Mm-hmm. The more you adjust... To make sure it's what you keep, either mm-hmm. by what you're suggesting, tightening your belt and not buying before you should. Right. Or making sure the way you invest that you're not giving 40 or 50 percent of it up to the tax, but instead somehow through a tax credit or a tax break, you're keeping more of it. Right. So what's going to amass more at the end result mm-hmm. between your spending habit you talked about and mm-hmm. the way you get it taxed.
1: Well, as long as I can find a way with your help maybe to buy more shoes. <laughs> Joe, that's really what we want. Now, hurry up in here, Paul. We only got a couple minutes left. I got to pick your brain about what happened yesterday. Y'all know that Paul is is my sports reporter here. Um, okay, we had the NFC. We had the AFC Championships games yesterday.
3: One was good. One was not. <laughs>
1: Well, it depends on how you look it at it. It depends
3: on what your uh, team is. If you're a Carolina Panthers fan, then it was, it was really good.
1: Well, I actually thought that the, that the first one was actually a really exciting game. Now, that was New
3: England versus Denver. That was. And uh, Peyton Manning, I think he was wearing a Colts uh, t-shirt underneath his Broncos uh, jersey because he looked like the Peyton Manning of old, especially in the first half. Mm-hmm. He was throwing the ball really well on target. They ended up winning 20-18. to 18. Uh, Tom Brady did all he could, try to bring him back in the end, uh, but uh, you know, we got the touchdown but couldn't get that two-point conversion
1: and you know what good for manning because i i predict this is his last year and so he gets to go out in the super bowl but after what i saw in the second game manning is going to have his hands full in the super bowl he absolutely is
3: but the broncos defense was that was one of the best defensive performances i've ever yeah, that seen by the broncos uh they were all over tom brady uh i broke up 10 passes sacked him four times and uh Got to him twenty times. Oh wow! Knocked him down. <laughs> so uh, you know if they can do that to Cam Newton, yeah. uh, Cam Newton's never seen a defense like this. He's you know he's not at Auburn anymore. He's in the NFL, and the Broncos have two weeks to prepare for him.
1: True, but I but you look at both sides of the ball in Carolina, and who can beat? These dudes and that Cam Newton. I mean, I don't really like his attitude. I think he's a little bit of a punk, a handsome one, I might add. But I mean, he is, that dude's like practically seven feet tall. I mean, he's as big as Gronk. And I mean, they move up and down that field at will.
3: Yeah, exactly. He can run and he throws very similar to the way Peyton Manning used to throw. Right. Uh, He (laughs) throws it, uh, you know, with velocity and he's he's getting better and better with his accuracy. He can make any single throw on the football field. So he's going to give the Denver Broncos all they can handle. Right. It should be a really really good Super Bowl. I
1: right. hope it's a good Super Bowl because Manning is a gentleman and a class act and Absolutely. I really and I really would hate to see him, you know, go out, you know, completely humiliated like well, Carson we know
2: how he does historically in Super Bowls. I he know does so
3: well.
1: <laughs> right speaking of not doing well and being humiliated carson palmer yesterday yeah plus his little heart yeah,
3: carson palmer did not have a good game he was uh, 20 of 40 uh five inter- or four interceptions uh fumbled the ball twice and uh, that was the tale of that game was just turnovers uh the carolina panthers won the turnover battle seven to one yeah and it's yeah. it's impossible to win if you lose a turnover battle
1: like that that's right well Uh, I can't wait for the Super Bowl. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to share another hour with you all tomorrow night, Tuesday night, 8 p.m., right here on AM 1170, KCBQ. Thank you, Dijon. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Dayani. Thank you, Joe Straziri. Straziri Mancini. All right, guys. Have a great night, everybody. Love you all.